to Revelation chapter 13. We are continuing in our study on Revelation and Daniel. Last week we looked at Daniel chapter 2, Daniel 7 and 8, uh, that goldenrod sheet that is available for you tonight as well. We talked about this diagram last week and uh, tonight we'll be looking at the opposite side of that, some of those charts and so I'll be referring to that in just a little bit and then I also have for next week, kind of where we're going with all this. But basically, um, in Revelation 13, you recall that, and you can start recording, Lauren, you good? Thumb up. Uh, in Revelation, thank you. In Revelation 13, John saw a beast rise up out of the sea. And then in Revelation 17, he explains the beast he saw. Therefore, it's, I think it's important that we study Revelation 13 and 17 together. In the next few weeks, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, looking at 14 through 18. Uh, next week, for sure, maybe two weeks, we don't know yet. But uh, uh, John tells us that the sea represents people's na multitudes, nations, and languages, Revelation 17, 1 and 15. Um, and then he saw a beast that had seven heads and ten horns. And so we're going to talk about that tonight. What I want to do first is take a few minutes, and both chapters are relatively short, but reading verse, uh, chapters 13 and 17, both have 18 verses. And so follow along in your Bibles or on your tablet or on your phone app. Revelation chapter 13, going back Acts chapter 12, um, then the, verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold the testimony of Jesus. And it kind of continues on, and the dragon, or he or I, John, stood on the shore of the sea. We talked about that, ended with that, with chapter 12, talking about what that could mean a little bit. And uh, it's really, and he stood on the shore of the sea, sea the he being John or, or possibly the beast, not given that for sure. But anyway, it picks up then in verse, and underneath that, the beast out of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns. And on each head, a blasphemous name. The beast I saw re resembled a leopard, but he had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Uh, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, and, and John mentions this three times, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months, three and a half years. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power. I love this all the time. He was given power. He was given this. The only power, let me just pause right there. The only power Satan has is that what God allows him. Keep that in mind as we're going through this. Because he has given power, and it's great power. And it's, it's, we're going to talk about miracles and everything else, you know, false miracles, but nonetheless. And he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, 
all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the foundation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Speaking of those, the tribulation saints, those who are getting saved during the tribulation. Uh, verse 11, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose, here it is, fatal wound had been healed, and he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Then we jump over to chapter 17. The woman on the beast, verse 1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, remember the last uh, set of judgments to come yet, uh, the one of the oh, seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert, there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was given on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the Mother of Prostitutes, and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. 
but when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. There. All right, so with that, I know it's like, whoa, seven heads, ten horns, all this stuff. I don't know where you're going, seventh king, eighth king, five are dead, once was. So we're going to talk about that. And so looking at your outline, there are two basic sections. I'll spend the most time tonight looking at nine questions and or answers uh, that talk about then the beast out of the sea. And then we'll have five points to make on the beast out of the earth later on. But uh, let's jump into this because um, it might seem a little confusing now, but let's walk through it hopefully to make more sense, especially then if you tie this in with last week's lesson, Daniel 2, 7 and 8, as, as I wanted to bring that to your attention because this kind of, I think, puts some more flesh on the bones so you have a bigger picture of it. So first of all, in uh, number A, what are two meanings of the seven heads? Uh, Revelation 17, 9, the seven heads are seven hills or mountains on which the woman sits. Now, the seven hills may have a local meaning or a broader meaning. Two meanings, what are they? A local meaning or a broader meaning. First of all, in the local meaning, the seven heads represent seven physical mountains or hills. Rome was known to be a city on seven hills. John's readers, you recall, would know this. Believers of John's day saw Rome as a beast. The Roman ruler claimed to be God. He demanded that everyone was to worship him. So really for, for believers in John's day who would have received this revelation, uh, the woman on seven hills was Rome. The woman on seven hills was Rome. We'll discuss more about this later. Now, that's the local meaning. In the broader meaning of this, the seven heads represent seven mountains that are kings or kingdoms. Uh, they are, Revelation 17, 10, they, the seven heads, are also seven kings. And he says, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain for a little while. Now, in prophecy, mountains represent seats of power or world kingdoms. For example, a tall mountain stands above the other mountains and it kind of like sits up there and it rules over the land around it. Likewise, a kingdom is lifted up in power and rules over those below it. You'll recall that the stone became a huge mountain, a kingdom that filled the earth, Daniel 2.35. Thus, in the broader sense, 
The beast represents seven kingdoms. Once again, the local sense, the local meaning was basically Rome. In the broader sense, the beast includes seven kingdoms. A. B. Do the seven heads or seven kingdoms exist at the same time? Simple answer is no. Revelation 17.10 states that the seven kingdoms do not exist together. After all, it says five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he does, he must remain for a little while. So five of the kingdoms are in the past. One was present in John's day, that kingdom was Rome. And the seventh head or kingdom is in the future. So it's very important to remember that the seven heads did not all rule at the same time. The seven heads of the beast represent seven, or kingdoms, I should say, at different times in history. B. C. What do the seven heads represent? Now, some think the seven heads represent seven Roman rulers. They'll say, well, these are the Caesars that ruled during the days of the early church. Uh, that view might be a good one to adhere to, but I'll reject it for a couple of reasons. First of all, there were at least ten, not five, evil Caesars before John wrote Revelation. If John had said nine had fallen, we could possibly consider that view. Secondly, there were nine evil Caesars after John wrote Revelation. All right? And so, ten Roman emperors who persecuted the church. John did not say that nine were yet to come. He said there's only one more evil head after the sixth one. Still, those who defend that view emphasize the number seven represents completeness, and they teach, well, seven represents all seven Caesars. They say the seventh head represents the final evil ruler of the Roman Empire. Now, we're going to see in just a bit, in a little bit, even though that might not be the view that we might adhere to, it brings us to the same place in history, which is the top chart on the back side of your paper. Uh, that would be figure 1020. Uh, just let me just pause right there and say, you know, from Revelation 17, 10, five have fallen. What five are those? That would be Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. You recall in your goldenrod sheet, I'm looking for mine, you recall on your goldenrod sheet, we talked about all those kingdoms and kings last week. All right, from Daniel 2, also Daniel 7 and 8. And so five have fallen, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, uh, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Well, one is, that's the one in John's day, that is Rome. And then the other has not yet come is revised Rome. And so really the, the view that we adhere to, I think best, is that the seven heads represent seven world kingdoms. Before Daniel, you'll recall there was only two world kingdoms. Those were uh, Egypt and Assyria. Uh, both of these kingdoms persecuted God's people. Daniel did not need to write about these kingdoms because they were in the past. But he did write about four other world kingdoms. He described Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Once again, last week's lesson, Rome, or excuse me, Daniel 2, 7, and 8. Uh, recall also 
that the number seven does show completeness. The seven churches represent the complete church. The seven eyes of the lamb show complete awareness. Uh, of the, uh, the seven horns of the lamb show complete power. Likewise, the seven heads of the beast may represent the completeness, uh, the complete fullness of evil. In other words, only to, to, to that time, only six kingdoms have ruled the world. The Antichrist will then rule the seventh kingdom. Uh, when, when only six kingdoms have ruled and, and the Antichrist comes on the scene, when he comes, the, the history of evil will be complete and then God will destroy the worldly kingdoms once and for all. And when God does his work, these kingdoms will never exist again. Uh, there will be a final rebellion after the millennium, but the kingdom of the Antichrist will be the last evil kingdom on earth. Uh, together, the seven churches represent all the churches. In a sense, the seven heads together represent all the ungodly kingdoms. The beast John saw included the worst, the worst of Daniel's beasts. It had the speed of a leopard, the strength of a bear, the mouth of a lion, Revelation 13, 2. Also, it had ten horns and the power of Daniel's fourth beast. It was the completion of evil. Now, I know Bible teachers today have uh, different views on the beast, uh, but recall the lesson of the seven thunders. God keeps some things secret that he doesn't share with us. Even some things that, that uh, John saw, God says, uh, that's not for now, all right? And so we don't know everything there is to know. And so I warn you again, beware of Bible teachers that say, well, th this, is, this country and this country and this country are the ones that Daniel or John's referring to. Uh, I've heard the teachers, be weary, all right? Be careful. Uh, we don't know um, because we don't know, and it's okay not to know everything. But anyway, uh, let me just say it this way. Um, it's not good to thunder about things we don't see clearly. Therefore, we have only whispered about the seven heads of the beast. If I was more certain, I could say with more authority, it was this, it's this country, it's this or that. But um, I've given you the view that I think is the best interpretation of that. Now, also note on the top chart of this, get this one out, look at the top chart of the, uh, uh, figure 1020 on your handout. Uh, there are two paths to the same king. Now, as I said, some think the seven heads are Caesars. Others think the seven heads are seven kingdoms. But most scholars, if you look dig into this, most scholars will agree that the Antichrist rules over the revised Roman kingdom. In other words, whether you take this path or this path, they end up at the same place, as that chart shows you. And so when it comes down to it, in the day and age we're living in, it really doesn't matter. We're going to get to that place eventually, okay? That's what I wanted to point out. Uh, so Caesars or world kingdoms, they are two paths, honestly, to the same Antichrist. They get us to the same place. Now, D, letter D, what do the ten horns on the beast represent? Revelation 17, 12 says, The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour or for a short period of time will receive authority as kings do along with the beast. Now, who are they? Uh, the ten horns are ten future kings. They have not yet received a kingdom. Therefore, they must be on the head of the beast that is also in the future. 
In other words, put it this way, future kings cannot belong to a kingdom that is past. Five of the heads of the beast are in the past. One is in the present. Only the seventh head of the beast is in the future. Therefore, the ten horns must be on the seventh head of the beast. Also note here a major difference between the seven heads and the ten horns. The seven heads did not all exist at the same time. In fact, no two ruled the world at the same time. A new head or a kingdom arose as it conquered an old head. But all ten kings, the ten kings all exist at the same time. Keep in mind, as I've tried to remind you, the prophets did not always see everything that they wrote about, and they didn't also understand everything they wrote about. They didn't always see horns on beasts, for example. Recall the beast that Daniel saw. There were no horns on the lion, on his beast, or the bear or the leopard. But the fourth beast that Daniel saw had ten horns. This was the vision of the final Roman kingdom. Once again, I refer to Daniel 7, 24 and 25. Uh, the ten horns come after the first phase of the Roman kingdom. These ten kings or kingdoms belong to the final form of the Roman kingdom. They will exist before the Antichrist. He comes after them and will subdue or conquer three of them. The Antichrist will arise in the midst of the ten kings. Daniel saw, you recall, a little horn grow up among the ten horns. Daniel chapter 7, 7 and 8. This little horn represents the Antichrist. He will conquer three of the ten kings. This seems to be in the middle of the seven years of tribulation. Now, what nations do the ten horns represent? That is a very difficult question to answer. The ten horns grow out of the old Roman kingdom. Now, on the middle of this page is a chart. And look at that now. And... Uh, the map on uh, figure 1021. Rome conquered the entire world at that time that it knew. This map here shows the boundary of the old Roman kingdom. And so you can see the outward boundary in all those countries within. This map also has the names of modern nations. The land of these nations or a part of the land of their land once belonged to Rome. Therefore, the ten kings could come from any of the nations in this map, figure 1021 on your handout. Also remember that new nations continue to emerge within the old Roman kingdom. You say, well, I don't see anything going in that direction right now. You might not, but it will happen and it can happen at a very rapid rate. Once God begins to put things into motion, friends, this is not going to take a lot of time. And I was thinking this past week, you know, it's been a little over three years since COVID hit us. We had a lockdown for two months. Where has the last three plus years gone? Think how fast that has gone. It's just gone by, to me, it's gone by fast. 
It's like, okay, that was 2020, we're in 2023. Uh, in a few months, we're gonna be at three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days since COVID began. Look how fast that happens. Seven years is gonna go by like that, even though it will be hell on earth for the inhabitants of the earth. And they will wish it would go by faster. But in all reality, time, I mean, the shortness of time here, I mean, you think about, well, how's God going to do that? I don't know how God's going to do it, but if the word says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I don't need to know how it's going to happen. Do you, do you get that? And so um, I just wanted to have you see that, uh, of the possibilities of what nations could be in that. We, we're not told. Now, how long, E, E on your outline, how long will the ten kings reign with the Antichrist? Revelation 17, 12 says, Then ten, the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings do, uh, along with the beast. And so basically he says with one hour. Those who join the Antichrist will rule only for a very short period of time. Some think that instead of one hour, it should be translated, but for, 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 for one moment. You know, for, it really, really, really means for a very short period of time. And so basically the ten kings are going to uh, rule for a very brief period. Think about it this way. The ten kings board a train just before it wrecks. They get into a boat just before it sinks. Friends, Satan's time is short. His days are numbered. He has great authority and power, but only for a short period of time. That compared to eternity. All right? And so one hour, a uh, short period of time. F, what is the relationship between the beast and the Antichrist? Revelation 17, 11, the beast who once was and now is and is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. When I first read that, I thought, what in the world does that mean? Well, to understand the verse, recall that John equates the king with the kingdom. The beast has seven heads and ten horns, but there is only one ruler or king over the entire beast. That king is the Antichrist. All right, Paul calls him the man of lawlessness. John calls this person a beast for a couple of reasons. First of all, because he's evil, evil, savage, and ungodly. Secondly, John refers to this king as the beast because he represents the beast. Revelation 17, verse 8. Recall that Daniel referred to Nebuchadnezzar as a king and a kingdom. Babylon was an entire kingdom. The head of gold in the statute that we showed you last week on this piece of paper, on this side of it, on the goldenrod piece of paper, the, the gold represented the kingdom and the king. And so Daniel refers to Nebuchadnezzar like he is the entire kingdom, but it represented him and his kingdom, all right? A king and his kingdom are one. The Antichrist and the beast are one. One and the same. Does that make sense to you? The Antichrist is the eighth king. The Antichrist is the eighth king. He comes up out of the abyss, Revelation 17, verse 8. This shows us that the Antichrist is more than just an evil human being. He is a spiritual being from the realm of Satan. He either, check this out, he either becomes a, a human 
or he possesses a human. The Christ came down from heaven. The Antichrist comes up from the abyss. Notice the contrast. Notice that the Antichrist belongs to or with the seven. Revelation 17, 11. His kingdom is not an eighth head on the beast. He rules over one of the seven heads or kingdoms. Specifically, he rules over the seventh head. But he is also known as the eighth king. This is because he follows the seventh king, but rules over the same kingdom of revised Rome. So on one hand, the Antichrist is of or like the seven kings who have ruled the seven heads. On the other hand, he is different how he comes up out of the abyss. All right, that was F, question F. G, what is the meaning of the fatal wound and its healing? Three times John refers to this in chapter 13 of Revelation, verse 3, verse 12, and verse 14. Revelation 3, uh, 13, 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. And the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. I have a notation from the complete biblical library. I like what this said. Strong satanic delusion today is already leading many to believe homosexuality, premarital sex, abortion, adultery, and many other sins are normal and even desirable patterns of life. The Bible warns that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now, those who listen to Satan's lies now will become easy prey to his deceptive miracles, miracles intended to make the world believe the Antichrist is the real Christ. In other words, the Antichrist probably won't say, hey, everybody, I'm the Antichrist. He's going to come along and say, hey, I'm the real deal. The other, the other Jesus person, he was the false Christ. I'm the real Christ. You know, anti means one of one, one like or one another one, uh, like the real one type of thing. Uh, and so he's going to come across. He's going to deceive many, and, and uh, they will, they will, people will be filled with amazement and will acclaim him, the Antichrist, and him alone to be worthy of worship. One thing that Satan's after, I'll get this later, but the thing that Satan is after is worship. He wants people to worship him because, once again, he is a fallen angel created by God but wanted to take God's place. He saw the accolades, the worship, the praise that God received. Evil was found in his heart. He made the decision, you know, I don't want to be subject to this. I want to be, I wanna be like God. I want to be in God's place. I want to be like the Most High. Go back to Isaiah chapter 14 and looking at the five, I call them the five I wills of Lucifer. And so we know that great end time deception is coming. But may I also add, it's already here. We'll get into more of that bit. So, uh, the Bible teaches, uh, the Bible teachers have different opinions as the head wound. Uh, Revelation 13, 3, verse 12 says, whose fatal wound had been healed. Verse 14, who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And so lots of, lots of opinions here. Uh, really, the question is, does the kingdom or the ruler receive the, the, the deadly wound? A couple of views. The first view says, well, the head John refers to as a king. Someday the eighth king will rule over the revised Roman kingdom. Suppose he receives a head wound, then the Antichrist from the abyss enters his wounded body and rules through him. 
if this happens, the world's going to be marveling. They're going, wow, that's just, whoa. You know, everything's going to be crazy. The second view supposes that the head John refers to that was wounded and, and is healed is a kingdom. Revelation 13, 3. Recall that the seven heads are the seven world kingdoms. The Antichrist rules over Rome, the seventh head of the beast. Rome receives a deadly head wound. That is, the kingdom of Rome dies. That is already true today. Rome is a dead political kingdom now. It will seem like a miracle when the Roman kingdom lives again and rules the world. As I said, how will that happen? I don't know. But uh, I think by, by that explanation, it, it could explain the change from the seventh king to the eighth king. I mean, the seventh king was over the early Roman empire, the Roman kingdom. The eighth king will be the Antichrist. He will raise up the dead Roman kingdom. The world will marvel and, and I guess, yeah, once again, these two views are only opinions, but the second seems a little better. The head John refers to seems to be a kingdom. Also remember Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to our Lord. Once again, we don't know everything. All right. H, what is the meaning of the beast once was, now is, and yet will come? With what I just shared, this will make a little more sense. Uh, verse uh, 8 of Revelation 17. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. And then also, end of verse 8, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. The beast is the earthly kingdom of Satan. Let us consider his past, his present, and his future. He once was. These words describe so much of Satan's history. He once was an angel in the presence of God, but Jesus saw him fall from heaven like lightning. He once was. He once was the power behind the pharaohs of Egypt, but God destroyed that kingdom. He once was. He once was the one who worked through Antiochus Epiphanes, but his time came to an end. He once was the one who moved King Herod to try to kill all the, baby, all the babies of, of Jesus' day. But his, fail, his plan failed in trying to kill the Messiah. He once was the one we called Father and Master, but Jesus set us free by paying His blood for our ransom. He once was the power behind Nero, the Roman ruler, but Nero died. He once was the one who inspired Hitler and Idi Amin and a thousand other world rulers. But these kings and their kingdoms all fell. Now in some countries, people put a stone at the end of a person's grave. And on the stone, people will write words to describe the one who died. Well, guess what? Soon, God is going to bury Satan in the lake of fire. Over his fiery grave, God may choose to write the words, He once was. He once was. Number one. Number two, he is not. When John wrote these words, Satan was not persecuting the church with great power. A few Christians, yeah, they were killed, but it was not as bad as some days in the past. You recall that Domitian was the ruler, uh, Roman ruler in John's day. 
He used to spend hours alone each day catching flies, and then he would stab them to death with a knife. He was a cruel, evil ruler. But the presence of Satan was not in him like it was in others before him. Therefore, John could truly say, Satan is not in Domitian like he was in others. Even today, we can say that Satan is not ruling the world like he has at other times. I mean, think about it this way. The presence of God through the church prevents Satan from doing all Satan desires. We're in his way. Hallelujah. Keep getting in his way. All right. The power of God through the church holds Satan back. The prayers of God's people restrain the dragon. The power of the Holy Spirit holds back the force of the Antichrist. And so today, he is not what he once was in the worst times of human history. And then he will come. The day of the Antichrist approaches. Believers will be raptured. This great restraining power of the church will not be on earth. When God takes the church away, all right, Satan will have his finest hour. He will be free to deceive, to tor torment, to murder, to destroy in, in a greater way than ever before. And so those who have rejected God will bow to this evil leader, this evil king. Now, contrast, he once was, it is not, and will come with God. God the Father is consistent. He was, is, and is to come. What he was, he still is, and will always be, all right? Uh, he testifies, I, the Lord, do not change. He does not vary like shifting shadows. James tells us, likewise, uh, the, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, but guess what? That's God. God is consistent. You can depend on God, but no one can depend on Satan. All right? Uh, his time will be very short. He'll be ruling, reigning. There's a seven-year period of tribulation, but he will be up for a short time, then he'll be down for all time. He, he was, is not, will be, and then will not be. All right? And so that's what that means. The beast once was, now is not, and yet will come. Uh, then next question, I, why does God allow the beast to briefly conquer believers? He was given power, Revelation 13, 7 says, to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. How many have heard of Idi Amin? He was a cruel ruler in Uganda uh, years and years ago. Uh, some, say he, some say he murdered half a million people. Uh, his complete story is too evil to tell. He was very cruel. Uh, this victory of evil uh, very, especially troubled one African church leader. And the African church leader says, Uganda was a nation that God forgot. Well, many have felt discouraged when evil triumphed. Uh, the triumph of evil filled Job with questions. It, called, it caused Elijah to pray to die. The triumph of evil caused John the Baptist to doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. It surprised Peter and caused him to deny that he even knew the Christ. Read the Passion Week story. All right? The triumph of evil caused some believers to consider turning back from Christ to Judaism back in Hebrews. Talked about that studying in the book of Hebrews. In the last days, the triumph of evil will cause the love of most to grow cold. Now, why does God allow evil 
to temporarily overcome good? That may be the, the question of a lifetime. Uh, let me give you a couple of reasons why God allows temporary triumph over evil. Number one, on your outline, under point I, God wants us to serve Him because He is righteous and holy, not just because He is powerful. You see, sinners serve whatever serves them, whatever's in it for them. They vote for the leader that gives them the most stuff. All right. They bow to the beast because he is the most powerful, visible force on earth. It does not matter to them for you know, that, that their God is evil. God being a little g, his power will cause them to prosper. He will give them what their stomachs want. Uh, therefore, they worship him. Now, if good always won, evil people would serve God to get what they wanted. Therefore, God allows evil to triumph on earth then and only those who love the truth and righteousness will love God. And so basically, Daniel's friends, you'll recall, were even, you know, they're, they're saying, we're going to die rather than bow to an idol. And you see, they loved, they loved truth more than life. Uh, could it be that some of us will be called upon, even in the days that we live in, to, to, to give our life for the gospel? All right, so number one, God wants us to serve him because he is righteous and holy and not just for what he can do for us. All right, number two, because faith pleases God. The righteous live by faith. The more a person trusts God, the more it pleases God. As Job said, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. In many cases, the greatest trust a person can show is to literally lay down their lives for Christ. You know, to become a martyr for, his, for him. I have come to the conclusion after reading what I've read and studying what I've studied thus far in Revelation that the tribulation saints, especially as I get into chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, but the tribulation saints, those saved during this time, are basically going to be martyred for their faith. I don't believe all, but I believe a majority or most will Say, hey, you know something? My life is not my own. It belongs to Christ. I will not bow. I will not, I will not take the mark of the beast to buy or sell. or what, I'll, star, I'll starve or whatever. I will give up my life for Christ. And, and so sometimes God asks, well, how much do you love me? And the answer of each believer should be enough to die before I deny. Enough to die before I deny. If you, if you were asked to die for Christ, would you? Would I? If you were asked to, to give up your life for him, would you do so? I believe that's what it's going to cost to be a follower of Christ, especially, especially in the tribulation years. Count the cost. Something that is so foreign to us today. Not to missionaries serving in different parts of the world, in different hard parts of the world, Iraq, Iran, Middle East, or whatever. I'm just saying, will you lay down your life if called upon to do so? And so that's the other part. You see, the temporary, also keep in mind that the, tempor, the temporary triumph of evil is nothing compared to the eternal victory of good. The temporary triumph of evil is nothing compared to the eternal victory of good. It is a spark compared to an eternal blaze of glory. All right, let's look at the second part in the last 15 minutes we have here. We'll go over then the beast out of the earth, Revelation 13, 11 through 18. Um, most of us know 
the three persons of the Holy Trinity. But in Revelation, John introduces us to an evil trinity. The trinity from hell includes three persons. Two scriptures clearly refer to this evil trio. Revelation 16, 13 and Revelation 20, verse 10. Revelation 16, 13 says, Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And so the threefold evil trinity would be the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Revelation 20.10 says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown to the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Once again, the devil, the beast, the false prophet. And so, Revelation 20.10. Satan, as I said earlier, only wants what God deserves. Therefore, the devil tries to imitate God. In, in, in the rest of tonight's lesson, then, we're going to study about the beast from the earth. Like the Antichrist, he is called a beast. This is because, once again, of his evil uh, nature. Again, like the Antichrist, he is a person. He rises up from among the people. Scripture refers to him as the false prophet. He is the assistant of the Antichrist. One teacher calls him Antichrist Minister of Propaganda. I like that title. Antichrist Minister of Propaganda. And so let's compare then and contrast the false prophet with the Holy Spirit in these five areas. A, first of all, the false prophet appears gentle and harmless. Revelation 13, 11, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. We could interpret the words, he spoke like a dragon in a couple of ways. First of all, it could mean that the false prophet spoke loudly and harshly, but this is probably not what Revelation 13, 11 means. The correct meaning is probably that like the dragon, the false prophet spoke in a way that deceives people. He looked like a sheep, but he spoke like a snake. The Holy Spirit on, on the opposite side of that then is as gentle as a dove. The false prophet tries to imitate him. Uh, John says this evil person has two horns like a lamb. The false prophet appears gentle, meek, kind, and courteous. He is a diplomat. He knows how to speak in ways that don't offend people. He's kind of like a politician. His speech simply pleases people. Now, throughout history, Satan's main strategy has been to deceive. People know the truth, uh, seldom do business with the dragon. Therefore, to enslave, kill, and destroy, he must use disguise. And so the false prophet and all of Satan's false prophets dress like sheep. We see in Matthew 7, 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Satan is the ruler of darkness. God is light and, in, and, and there is no darkness in his character. In contrast, Satan is darkness and there is no light in his character. As Jesus says, there is no truth in him. His native language is lying. He is completely evil, all right? But he appears as an angel of light. People who know the truth seldom 
follow Satan. Therefore, it's necessary for him to deceive those he wants to devour. Uh, that's why he invented the lie. Consider the contrast then, what Satan advertises and what Satan sells. Uh, he advertises, hey, wine, wine looks pretty. It comes in colors, it sparkles in fancy bottles, and yet do not gaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and, and poisons like a viper. If you read Proverbs 6 and 7, an immoral woman may be beautiful, stylish and crafty, flattering, sweet-smelling, persuasive and smooth-talking, but her house is a highway to the grave. And so Satan advertises things that say, hey, look at this, buy into this, you know, adhere to this, but what comes around is not what he advertises. All right, there's no truth in his advertisement. I'll put it that way. All right, he is the great deceiver. You recall that Eve did not realize she was trading paradise for a few bites of fruit. Samson did not realize he was trading his eyes for a few days with Delilah. Judas did not realize he was selling his own soul for a few pieces of silver. Once again, Passion Week. All right, war and destruction are phase two of the Antichrist and the false prophet, but in phase one, they will talk about peace and safety. Once again, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, peace and safety, everything's going good. But after that, everything turns on a dime, the last three and a half years. B, the false prophet uses authority to turn people toward the Antichrist. There are honestly two spiritual forces that pull people on earth, light and darkness. God is light. The Holy Spirit draws people toward God. He causes people to feel guilty for the dark deeds of sin. But guess what? Guilt can be a wonderful blessing. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Anytime God's convicting you, thank God for that conviction. Because God's conviction does not mean condemnation, but forgiveness. When Holy Spirit convicts, it's not to condemn, but to heal, to help, and to bring wholeness to somebody. In contrast, that's God. In contrast, uh, there's another spiritual force that pulls people away from God. Uh, Satan is the great enemy of God and humans. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, he came to Adam and Eve with only one purpose, to pull them away from God and to bring them to destruction. The false prophet works with Satan and the Antichrist. As the Holy Spirit draws people to Christ, the false prophet draws people to the Antichrist. Now, when does the Antichrist come? When does the false prophet come? For sure, they will come in the last days. But do not think these spiritual forces are only at work in the period of the tribulation. Uh, these forces are at work today. You recall in 1 John 2.18, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and even now, John writes, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. And then Matthew 24, Jesus says, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. And so basically there is one Antichrist and one false prophet in the tribulation. But there are lesser Antichrists and lesser 
uh, false prophets, if you will, at work right now. And all these are working even today to deceive people and to lead them away from the truth, light, and God. Today, each person is being led by one or two spiritual forces. Which spiritual force is leading you? All right. C, the false prophet does miracles to deceive those living for earth. Interesting. Jesus emphasized that the Holy Spirit is truthful. He called, uh, three times Jesus called them the spirit of truth. John 14, John 15, and John 16. He guides believers into all truth. Have you ever just paused and said, Holy Spirit, thank you for leading me into all truth? I mean, you need to be thankful that Holy Ghost leads you into truth. Don't take that for granted. In contrast, the false prophet guides sinners into lies. He leads those in darkness into greater darkness. The Holy Spirit confirms the truth with signs and miracles. However, be careful, the false prophet confirms lies with miracles. Now, what is the relationship, quickly, between truth and miracles? Miracles are never a substitute for the Scriptures. Neither are miracles a guide to the truth. So never assume that the one who does miracles guides you into truth. These are, are, there are miracles on the path to heaven, but there are also miracles on the path to hell. Now, many are led astray by miracles they thought were from God. You recall that uh, Pharaoh's magicians did miracles. Moses warned about false prophets who might do miracles. Witches and witch doctors may do wonders. For example, Simon the sorcerer deceived many through supernatural power. A girl was able to predict the future until Paul cast the demon out of her. In the last days, many will do miracles in the name of Jesus. The false prophet, though, will also deceive many and great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven in full view of men. You don't think that's going to get the attention of people? Oh, yes, it will, especially those who have been uh, leading a, 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 a lies and a, a, a deceived life. Uh, the false prophet will deceive through great and miraculous signs. Uh, the trinity of Satan will do miraculous signs through demons. Jesus also, you recall, said that an adulterous people look for miraculous signs. Church, we believe in miracles, we pray for miracles, we expect miracles, but don't let that be your spiritual guide. Always, always, always stick to the Word. Always stick to the Word. Uh, when, when things happen, it's the Word, the Savior, the Spirit that we follow, not the miracles. I'll, I could go more on that, but I won't. D, the false prophet orders people to set up a statue to worship. Now, humans want to worship whatever they can see. The Bible and the Holy Spirit will lead people to worship the true God, but people who disobey God, they will do what God forbids and hates. You'll call Aaron made a golden calf. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high. Before the captivity, the Jews also often worshipped idols. John prophesied that people would worship idols in the last days. Revelation 9.20, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. 
the false prophet, Revelation 13, 14, and 15, ordered them to set up an image in the honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given the power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that this idol, if you will, could now speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Now, an image speaking, that's going to bring some deception to people, all right? The false prophet has power to kill all and refuse to worship, all who refuse to worship this talking idol. Once again, uh, people who are uh, uh, today led astray and don't adhere to God or God's word are already on that path to being deceived by the false prophet uh, in, in the last time. Last question, E. Uh, the last point, the false prophet influences people to take the mark of the Antichrist. Uh, there were several kinds of marks in John's days. Uh, there's brands on animals, seals stamped on important documents and papers. The same word for mark could also be used to describe the image of a ruler stamped on a coin. But keep this in mind as, we, as you read this for future, no mark brand or stamp was used on people in John's day. This supports the belief that the mark of the beast is still in the future. We, see, we have some preterist uh, theologians, if you will, that say, well, everything that John wrote has already happened. Uh, no, it hasn't. All right, because this is one of the, the proofs right here. All right, and so a mark shows ownership. You recall God put his mark on the 144,000 because they belong to him. Well, once again, Antichrist is an imitator. What God does, he wants to do. And so once again, uh, that's going to happen. Now, uh, there are two types of interpretations to the mark, and I'm just going to, I might pick this up next week a little bit because my time is gone. Um, but I will say this, when, when trying to determine what the mark of the beast might be, um, don't go into too much detail or don't spend too much time trying to figure it out because you won't. Uh, many people over the years have got this wrong. Technology has been around for, for since the 80s, 90s with a chip, you know. We've been microchipping our pets for a long time. Uh, what could it be? I don't know. What is the mark? I don't know. Uh, people have tried to say, well, it's this, and I'm going I'm to pause right here. I want to Content, uh, pick it up just on that point next week and then I'll jump into then uh, the following lessons and um, if I can find my notes where I put those here they are all kinds of papers here next week we're going to talk about the seven bowls and the great harlot continue on in Revelation 13 14 and as well as 15 and 16 We'll talk about the mountains, mountain between the valleys in Revelation 14, the 144,000 in Mount Zion. We'll talk about the three angels, the two harvest judgments. Uh, we'll start talking about the seven bowls of God's wrath, Revelation 15 and 16. Uh, the harlot on the beast, who is the harlot? Why does John compare the city of the Antichrist to a harlot? We'll get into that. And then we'll talk about five reasons God will judge the harlot and then five reasons to flee from the judgment of the harlot all next week. All right, we have now completed that part of it, and we spent two weeks on that from Daniel and Revelation, Daniel 2, 7, and 8, and Revelation 13, 17. I'll pick up next week talking about the mark of the beast, going a little bit of that, but then we'll jump in then to Revelation 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. We're going to jump around with that. It's probably going to take two weeks for all that, too. We are on schedule to be done by the end of May before summer schedule 
It's going to happen by faith. Amen. All right. Once again, if you have people you want to invite, pick up the invite cards for Easter. You can take as many as you want. You can take up all of them if you want. You can take the door hangers. Whatever doesn't get picked up tonight is getting dumped out tomorrow. Uh, Easter Sunday, 1030. No, no Sunday school, but 1030 service. Uh, donuts, coffee, juice at 10 a.m. God bless you all. Be praying for harvest of souls this Sunday. God bless you all.